0: I've got an interesting topic for you um, today, I think. I want to talk about uh, deconstruction, and by deconstruction, I mean deconstructing from uh, really any kind of belief system, but using myself and most people that follow this channel or these live videos, deconstructing from uh, religion, specifically the Christian religion. And I want to talk about something. I mean, it's it's a broad community. It's really gained momentum. It's going on. Um, A lot, there are a lot of people that have questions, doubts, various different things that are, uh, you know, just throwing them into a bit of a crisis of faith. And some people are going, you know, all the way with deconstruction. They're coming out like myself. um, They're coming out with some kind of public presence. They're coming out to their friends and their churches and their pastors and their families But I want to talk about something, an element today, that I don't hear talked about a lot in people that are talking about deconstruction. I don't hear this talked about, but I think it really bores down to the core of the issue. For me, this really is the core of the issue with deconstructing, and that is I want to talk about deconstruction and the existential crisis that comes as a result of deconstruction. And I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, like I said. And I think that's probably the most difficult part of deconstruction and one of the most important parts of deconstruction. So what do I mean by an existential crisis? And we're going to have fun today. I'm going to get into some, um, philosophical metaphysics and do some fun, you know, more intellectual stuff. But I also want to make this practical. So I think you'll, uh, I think this will make you think and I think you'll be blessed by the talk. So I <clears throat> hope you'll hang in there with me. See a few people jumping on this morning. So what is, what is an existential crisis? Well, first let's talk about what is existential. Existential has to do with existence. (laughs) Pretty plain and simple, but it really gets down to the roots or the heart of answering the questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I from? Where am I going? But it has to do with meaning. It has to do with the meaning. That we give to our lives, and I'm not just talking about meaning that we give to our lives in the sense of, uh, why we get up in the morning. You know, what's our why for getting up? What's the meaning that we have that keeps us going in life, that gets us through tough times, that gives us hope for the future? So, you know, for me, a big part of what makes my life meaningful is helping other people. So in my day job, which I still have, by the way, thank you to everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that's been supporting us financially um, through our PayPal link. Uh, I've been blown away and overwhelmed by the support. It's been a lot more than what I had expected. Um, so we're building up some cash reserves uh, so that down the road I can make a transition from working full-time as a counselor to doing uh, – this kind of stuff because I enjoy this kind of stuff more, I get more satisfaction. I feel like I have a bigger impact. But at the end of the day, whatever meaning I have about my life, it's tied up in sharing information and helping other people. Everything in my life has always been geared that way. So you could say that's what gives my life meaning, right? That's what gives my life purpose, having a sense of purpose. But I'm going, I'm, I'm talking today even more fundamentally than that. More fundamentally than having a, a purpose that you get up for in the morning, I'm talking about just in general, the sense of meaning that we give to our existence. Uh, you can't not do it. Um, even if you think your existence has no meaning, even if you think you're just a cosmic accident and you get this whatever amount of time on this planet, this rock that's zooming through space... <laughs> And then that's the end. That's still giving meaning. Even if you say my, uh, there is no meaning to existence by saying there is no meaning, you're still giving meaning to it. So let me, let me explain meaning in this way, because what's, what's fundamental to us as human beings and what's, what's fundamental to this issue. And again, I think this episode is going to clear up a lot of things for you and, <clears throat> but also make you think, but at the end of the day, because of the way we are wired as human beings, because of the way we are made, we are meaning makers. We are meaning makers, and we make meaning out of everything. So at the basic level of human experience, you have the experience itself. And the experience itself in the present moment, if you could do what a lot of gurus out there are telling us to do and just be awake to the present moment, that this present moment is all there is, and be awake to this present moment, really what they're doing is they're describing a phenomena where you escape all the meaning that you've layered onto the experience or about the experience that you're having and just have the experience of the experience. (laughs) Did I confuse you yet? So let me make it simple. I grew up in Colorado, lived here my entire life. So beautiful state, state that everybody or a lot of people are trying to, you know, move to frequently at the top of the lists uh, of the best places to live or Colorado Springs or Denver. And it's a beautiful state. We've got beautiful mountains, lots of outdoor activity and things like that, that I'm probably take for granted because it's where I've lived my whole life. It's what I'm accustomed to. So. You have two types of experiences. You can go out, give you two different types. Because I grew up in Colorado, I like the beach because I don't, you know, it's new, it's novel. Uh, so if we go on vacation, most of the time we go someplace warmer. Usually we go someplace that has a beach. That's just our idea of a vacation. So if I go to the beach and I'm laying on the beach and I'm feeling the sand, sensory input, And I'm seeing the ocean, sensory input. I'm hearing the waves crash. I'm hearing the seagulls, sensory input. I'm smelling the ocean air and whatever else you smell when you're at the beach, right? Sensory experience. And if I just stop there, I haven't given it any meaning. I've just had the experience of the experience. Or if I go to the mountains and I see the trees, And I feel the cool air of the mountains in the summer, or if I go in the winter, the snow. I can smell the pine trees and the cedar and all that stuff. All of that stuff is sensory input. My mind takes all this sensory input and organizes it into a model of reality that allows me, as the experiencer, to know what it is. I... I feel the sand in my toes. I hear the ocean waves crashing. I smell, if I'm in the mountains, the pine trees, right? And I'm able to know what that is. I have something in my memory bank that I'm able to reference so that I know what it is. So, by the way, at a very fundamental level, at a very rudimentary level, you, a very basic level, you can't escape your past because if you, your mind had no references of the past, you could smell the pine, but you wouldn't know it was pine because you had no reference. You'd be like a, a baby and a child. You'd be if, if you had no ability to refer to your past at all, you wouldn't know anything. It would be completely confusing to you because you wouldn't even know what smell was or you wouldn't even know what vision was or hearing. So I have some reference in my memory bank for the ocean. So if I go to the ocean, or even just now I can talk about it because I'm pulling it up from my memory bank, and that just gives me basic level experience, right? So if the only way I ever talked or thought about my experience at the ocean was strictly in sensory language, we went to the beach, and the ocean was blue, the sky was blue, The sand was moist, the ocean air smelled like sea salt, and I could hear the seagulls. If that's all the further I ever went, then I would be staying at the level of experience. But I don't do that. I start immediately generating thoughts about my experience. Those thoughts about my experience might be sorted by comparisons. Compared to being cold in Colorado in December, compared to being on a cruise ship in (laughs) the Bahamas, I'm comparing and saying, I'm so glad I'm not cold. Now, see, I've I've added meaning by giving preference, by making comparison and giving preference between being in Colorado in the winter or being on the ship (laughs) in the winter. And then I might add something else to that, an emotional value to it, and say, gosh, I really like this. This is so relaxing. I'm really enjoying this. I keep layering. So then I'll give meaning to the meaning. So somebody says, how was your cruise? Well, again, if I stick with just the experience, well, the cruise was a big ship that we got on, and it had these pools, swimming pools, and it had these hot tubs, and it had a lot of people and there was a lot of food there and we went to this beach where the water was blue and the sand was moist but that's not how we talk about our vacations if you if you talk to your friend about your vacation that way they're going to think you're crazy my point is is that we start having about aboutisms we start having thoughts about the actual experience that give it meaning. This is where meaning comes in. And then we have thoughts about those thoughts. So for example, if someone were to say, how was your vacation? Say I took a cruise in December, which I didn't, but let's say I did. Uh, took a cruise in December. How was your vacation? It was wonderful. It was so amazing. The food was so good. And we really enjoyed the places that we went. You see how I'm really far removed now from the actual sensory experience of the experience and i'm talking from the the place of higher level meaning that i gave to it even higher level value judgments i really enjoyed it it was wonderful um we're going to do it again next year i can't wait till the next vacation like that when i'm on vacation i like to just be able to relax um did did you do anything fun on the vacation like did you go zip lining or did you go uh, scuba diving or you know I'm not really into the adventure of the vacation I just want to be able to completely unwind so we just laid by the pool we just laid by the beach we had drinks and it was so relaxing and it was so wonderful see what I'm doing I'm speaking from this level of meaning I'm trying to give you an example of how we always do this we always do this We always level up in our minds from the actual experience of the experience and get caught in our meaning-making thoughts about what that experience means to us. That experience meant for me that it was a time to get away from the pressures of life. That experience meant to me that it was time to get away from my ordinary surroundings of being in Colorado and in the mountains. That experience meant to me something that I will mark in my mind this is important because I'm going to come back to this. Something that I will mark in my mind as a valuable enough experience that I have easy access to it in my memory. Here's what I mean. If you were to ask me, Aaron, what did you wear uh, seven Sundays ago when you did uh, Facebook Live or you did Sunday Morning Live? What were you wearing, and what did you eat that day for lunch? I'm not going to be able to tell you because those that experience, the, the elements of that experience, you might even ask me, what did you talk about seven Sundays ago I'd have to go look you know to see what I wore to see what I talked about, and I would have no idea what I ate for lunch because as a general rule, those experiences don't have any meaning to me that is meaningful enough for me to market as a memory that I have easy access to. I didn't say, I'm not saying it's not meaningful doing these things. Obviously, I said at the beginning, it's meaningful doing these things. So I'm not saying seven Sundays ago was a wash and it had no meaning to me. What I'm saying is it did not have enough significance in terms of actual meaning for me, for me to mark it as a memory in my mind that I would have easy access to. But if you were to ask me about my last vacation, I can tell you very easily that my last vacation was in October of last year, last fall, when I took my family out to Los Angeles and we went to see um, the Broncos and the Chargers play. By the way, just so you understand something about me, When, because if you follow me, anytime you know I'm a big Bronco fan. I'm from Colorado, lived here my whole life. Of course, I'm a Bronco fan. Uh, And I like football, you know. So of course, I'm a Bronco fan. So when the when the schedule came out, (laughs) when the schedule came out last year, I saw this Monday night game between the Chargers and the Broncos, and I thought that'd be a perfect one. To take my family to, to take my children to their first, you know, professional sports game. Cause I thought it was being played in Denver. I thought it was being played in Denver. Uh, I think I even saw that the stadium was, uh, in Inglewood with an eye. And, uh, I think, you know, Inglewood is where I think I, where like Broncos headquarters is or something. So I didn't even think about it. Um Inglewood with an eye is where, uh, SoFi Stadium is in California. Anyway, long story short, I ended up buying these tickets to this away game between the Broncos and the Chargers, paid a bunch of money for it, thinking it was a home game, and then realizing months down the road when I got the tickets, when they actually delivered the tickets electronically to me, and I realized, oh, this is in LA, great, goody, we're gonna take a vacation to Los Angeles. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm being self-deprecating here. <laughs> But I'm telling you something I remember, and I have easy access to it in my memory. Why? Because of the meaning that I gave to the event. I already talked about some of it. Lifelong Colorado resident. I like football. Of course I'm a Denver Bronco fan. You see how I'm at the level of meaning, not at the level of experience? Uh, I'm going to take them to L.A. It's going to be the first time my kids see a game. Why does that even matter? That only matters because football's been a meaningful part of my life. Watching Bronco games has been a meaning, meaningful part of my life. Going to live Bronco games has been a meaningful meaningful part of my life, and I'm sharing that experience with my children who are also meaningful to me. So there's so much meaning and so much significance that it gets marked, it gets highlighted if you will. You think about like your the book of your life, you only remember the highlights. Like if you're reading a book You highlight stuff that's important to you, that speaks to you, you highlight that stuff, you maybe forget about the rest of the book, but you can go back, open up the book, and read the highlights. That's how our memories work. Our memories work based on the highlights of the experiences that we've had, and that's all tied up in this issue that we are meaning making machines. We are meaning making organisms. We, you, you can't not make meaning out of things. Your mind is constantly jumping up and having thoughts about your thoughts and emotions about your thoughts and thoughts about your emotions and emotions about your emotions. And pretty soon you're ten layers up the building from the foundation of the actual experience that you've had. And so then we speak from this place of meaning or in reality... We live much of our lives, so, so let's, let's do this. We live much of our lives out of meaning, not out of actual experience. So let's do it this way. The foundational sensory input and experience and modeling that we do in our minds is like the foundation of a building. It's like the foundation of it. So the actual sensory input, again, being at the ocean, smelling the ocean air, hearing the waves crash, hearing the seagulls, looking at the ocean. That's the foundation of our mental structures. Then we start abouting it. Um, It's too hot out here, and the sand is sticky, and, of course, too hot would never be for me, so let's do it this way. It was too cold Um, when we were in L.A. It was too cold to go to the beach. It was windy. There was wind coming off. It was cold. The kids were cold. We had a miserable time. So we had a miserable time might be the first story, right? And then the second story might be if we ever go back to Los Angeles, we're not going to go in the fall if we want to go to the beach because it's too cold in Los Angeles in the fall. Now, I don't know that for a fact. It could have just been a cold week. But you see, I've given meaning to it, and I've made a decision about my future that gets old going to the beach has gotten old going to places that are warm has gotten old because we do it every year now i've added a second story so next year let's start looking at a vacation for let's take an alaskan cruise next year and let's see the whales and let's see how that's different i've added another layer of meaning another story do you see what i'm saying And so we get story after story after story after story, about, 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 all with this meaning, all with this meaning. I'm making a decision now, not that I am, it's hypothetical, but I'm making a decision now to take an Alaskan cruise, perhaps, or I'm making a decision to let's go up to the New England coast during the fall and watch the leaves turn. I'm making a decision out of the meaning that I gave to my last experience of vacation, So that I'm operating from a level of meaning more than I'm operating from a level of actual sensory input experience. And so this is what I meant when I said that we give meaning to everything. We give meaning to everything in our lives. I'm talking about something as simple as a vacation. But you can do this with every area of your life. You can do this with your job. What's the meaning that you've given to your Job. My job is a good job. That's meaning. My job pays my bills. My job doesn't pay my bills. I hate my boss. I love my boss. I hate my boss, but I love my coworkers. I hate my boss, but I love my coworkers and I love, uh, the people that I'm serving or I love the type of work that I do or I don't really like the type of work that I do, but it's high-paying, and I like the benefits of a high-paying job. You see, all of that's the level of meaning. None of that has to do with the actual job itself. In fact, if you didn't know what I did, if I was talking about my job and you didn't know what I did, you'd know nothing about what my day was like or nothing about what really my job entailed in terms of its day-to-day duties. All you know is all the aboutisms that I've given to my job. And the meaning that I've given to my job, and so this is how we connect and communicate. We communicate at these higher, what they call meta levels, or levels above the experience, where we've given meaning, and so real conversation is shared meaning between two people. So, coming back to deconstruction, and the existential crisis. Existence, existential, the the term existential has to do with meaning. What is the meaning that you've given that you're actually living out from? You're not living out from the experiences as much. Your emotions are about the experience. Your feelings are about the experience, not the experience itself. And then you'll have thoughts about your feelings and feelings about your thoughts. And those are the levels that we live at. Those are the levels that we make decisions by. Those are the levels that actually guide our life, not the actual engagement of the reality out there. We're not really living from out there. We're living from in here based on these superstructures of mental meaning that we've given to what is out there. So when you come to religion, what religion is, is religion is a convenient explanation for things that we cannot explain. It is it is convenient meaning-making that then we use to make sense of our existence, and then we use whatever we have given meaning to to make sense out of our existence, to make our daily choices. And then in the case of religion, or evangelism, or that kind of thing, we take our meanings that we've given, or the meanings that were given to us by our religion, that help us to navigate our existence, to help us understand our existence. What am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What choices should I make about how I live my life? What choices should I make about what is owed to other people and the ethics that I should give to other people? What do I do about a crisis? What do I do if my loved one becomes ill? Well, I've got this meaning-making up here that says Jesus uh, died for sickness and disease, that he bore our sicknesses and our diseases at the cross. Therefore, we don't have to bear them. And if I lay hands on them, they'll be made well. So if I see somebody sick operating from that level of meaning, watch how this works, operating from that level of meaning, not the level of the experience, from the level of meaning based on the explanations that I've given to myself from my religious beliefs about the situation, about this person who's ill or about this loved one who's sick. And so based on that meaning, I'm going to pray to God for the healing, or I'm going to lay hands on the person for the healing. I'm making the decision out of meaning. Now, there are some people that got so extreme into that, they got so all or nothing, they got so either or, that they would delay going to the doctor or they wouldn't get treatment or they wouldn't take their medicines uh, because they've given meaning that says, My beliefs, my faith, my God is higher than this treatment. So I'm making decisions not based on the experience, not even based on whether or not I'm getting better or worse, or my loved one's getting better or worse, has nothing to do with the experience, has to do with the meaning that I'm coming from, that defines my existence, that answers the question for me, what do I do about a crisis when it comes up? So what do I do about a crisis when it comes up? If I believe in a God in the sky that's in control of everything and I believe that my prayers can persuade that God to heal the person that I love, I'm going to pray about it. Now, where people get stuck, this is why meaning is so powerful and so important. And remember, I said that the more meaningful it is, the more it gets anchored into your memory. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I am um, then from a place of meaning, I'm laying hands on this person and... And hoping that they get well. And then if they don't get well, many people will stay in their meaning. And the next time somebody's sick, they're going to approach them in the same exact way, even though the last way, it didn't work. So in this way, we discount experience and we discount results because we're so busy living out of meaning. That's how important meaning is that's how much it governs and affects and impacts our lives. I'll never forget I went to uh, <clears throat> uh new uh situation, not our church but another location and there was a family there, and this was one of those you know hyper faith churches that's out there that uh you know believes in healing, always making positive confessions. Always, uh, you know, God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you. If you believe, if you speak to the mountain, that type of thing. If you're not familiar with that, bear with me for a few minutes. But those of you that are, you'll appreciate this. And there was a little girl in the congregation, about two or three years old, who became suddenly ill with something. And within a few days or weeks, she passed away, tragically. Small congregation. The mom and dad were in leadership. So you have a family in crisis. You have other family members coming from out of town. They're in crisis. And you have a church that's in crisis, a pastor that's in crisis. And they're swimming in this ocean of meaning about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be sick, what it means to be well, and the how of how things work. And I'll never forget... Walking into that service and they're doing this praise and worship music, which I have no problem with. Um, it, but I think it was, uh, you know, it's was, they're, they're making this big thing of rejoicing. We're just rejoicing today and we're just happy today. Now, of course you can have meaning as a Christian that they're in heaven and fine. You see, but you're operating out of meaning, not out of the actual experience of loss. You're giving meaning to the loss. You're giving uh, an aboutism to the loss while they're in heaven with Jesus right now. So totally disconnected from the experience of loss, the actual sensory experience of it, right? <clears throat> and then the entire service was sent up as set up as a defense of we, I still believe what I believe. And I'll never forget the father, the father of the little girl that died who was in leadership in the church stood up <clears throat> on the platform, took a microphone and said, uh, I don't know why this happened. But I still believe in a good God, and I just want everybody to know that I still believe what I believe. I still believe it's God's will to heal every time. I still believe that Jesus bore our sicknesses and bore our diseases. Do you see how this person was so caught at the 10th story of the mental building that because the actual experience contradicted the meaning at the 10th story because the foundation contradicted the 10th story. You see what I'm saying? I hope you're getting the analogy. So stuck in that meaning, so anchored to that meaning that he's relating to that experience and relating to life, not as grief, not as loss, not as uh, time to comfort. And there were other family members there that didn't share that level of meaning and they were wanting to grieve and they were almost being shamed for grieving They were almost being told they didn't have enough faith or whatever the case may be, but that's at this level of meaning. And so we create these structures, and religion, again, gives us a convenient explanation for things that we cannot explain, a convenient explanation for things that we do not understand, and then we relate with each other and relate to the world out of that place of meaning. So what happens then When you deconstruct, what's actually going on with deconstruction? What actually goes on with deconstruction? Is it through a series of experiences, a series of events that are significant, exposure to information or knowledge that is significant to you, that has enough meaning to you, that it shakes the superstructure of meaning that you've given about your existence based on your religious beliefs. So I had a few notable experiences that changed meaning. In other words, it remodeled the second floor. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't mean this anymore. Um, The death of Jesus, you know, this story that we're told about the death of Jesus, that there's this God in the sky who's angry at us, who created us, and then let us fall into a nature that we could not escape, and then is angry because we're acting in accordance with our nature. Uh, I was born in original sin, was the teaching. I couldn't not sin. It's my nature to sin. So then I go out and act in accordance with that nature, and God becomes angry at my sin. And I have to do something about that anger or I'm going to go to hell. I have to do something about that anger or I'm not going to be blessed and favored in my life. Well, I can't do anything about it because, again, I'm acting in accordance to my nature when I sin. So God did something about it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross so that he could pour his wrath out on Jesus. Do you see how all of this is completely divorced from just the event in the story of Jesus being crucified and resurrected? If you go strictly by the Gospels, there is nothing in there that gives any of this meaning. There's just the experience. There's just the story told about the carpenter, teacher, preacher, prophet who dies on a cross and is raised from the dead. But then the church comes along and adds all this layered meaning to it, right? And then I internalize that as my existence. I internalize that as my meaning in the world, my meaning about my relationship to my creator, my meaning about how this stuff works. So then I have to believe in Jesus. So that becomes foundational to my existence. I am born again. I am a Christian. I am of the light. I am saved. I will go to heaven when I die. You see, even death has to do with existentialism. The whole power of religion is to answer the existential question, what happens to us when I die? What happens to me when I die? Well, if you die in your sins, you're going to go to hell, and your existence will be one where there is no tomorrow, where there is no, and by tomorrow, I mean whatever situation you find yourself in, you can always improve it. You can always make it better. There's always some kind of hope, but I'm going to go to this place of unimaginable suffering, Where my existence is going to be unimaginable suffering forever with no hope of getting out. That's, that's a horrific existential reality. Or I believe in Jesus and confess my sins and do whatever I'm told I have to do. And then my existence is the exact opposite of that complete duality, total joy, total ecstasy, total peace, total forever. Well, who wouldn't, who wouldn't go for that? Right? But it has to do with with existentialism, it has to do with your existence. So when we deconstruct from Christianity, when we deconstruct from our beliefs, meaning I no longer have the same aboutisms, I no longer have the same about-thoughts, or I no longer give the same meaning to the text that I used to give, I no longer give the same meaning to or about God that I used to give. I no longer give the same meaning to or about the devil or about heaven and hell that I used to give. It doesn't have the same meaning anymore. It doesn't have the same significance anymore. So now I don't know how to live my life because we live our life primarily out of meaning. So then, and I know for me this was this was incredible, so I got sort of plunged into this <clears throat> existential crisis of what? who am I, what are human beings? Where did we come from? Why are we here? And these are painful questions for us because again, just like I was explaining earlier about how we make decisions based on meanings, not the actual experiences. When I was talking about vacation, we make decisions about our lives. If we make decisions about our lives on something as simple as where are we gonna go for vacation, based on mental meaning, then how do we live our lives when bigger issues come up? How do we make decisions? How do we talk about ourselves when those meanings that were so important to us, that guided our decisions, that guided our choices, that guided our thinking, those things that were so important to us, and now they don't mean the same thing to us anymore? Now they have different meaning because we were exposed to different information or we had different experiences that were meaningful and significant to us that caused us to shift that whole structure inside ourselves. So that's what deconstruction is. Deconstruction is peeling away layer and layer and layer and layer and layer of meaning. So my deconstruction was the result of lots of different things. Doing real research into... Christian history, doing real research into the text, into the Bible itself. What is it actually saying? Letting go of confirmation biases and going back and saying, does it, yeah, the church taught me this and I even taught this, but does it really say this? Adding logic to it. Is this logical and reasonable? Does this even make sense? Um, m- mystical, metaphysical, metaphysical. Uh, Experiences, mystical experiences, better word, mystical experiences that I had that rattled me, that held significance in my mind, that changed the level of meaning. Interactions with others that changed the level of meaning. Realizing that a lot of Christians in America are more, are more committed to their American Christian religion than they are the teachings There are actually there that are the teachings of Jesus and seeing the hypocrisy of that and not wanting to be a part of that anymore changed meaning. So you can see that the meanings that I made is being deconstructed slowly over a process of time because of experiences that I had, new information that I had, new experiences that I had that caused me to shift and change those meanings so that at the end of the day, I was left with, what am I? And not only what am I, but I realized that I did, I, the only certainty I had when I was a Christian, the only real certainty that I had was subjective certainty. Here's what I mean by subjective certainty. I'm certain of it because I'm certain in my own mind. And especially Christianity teaches us to become certain only because of our own certainty. Because certainty has to do with faith. And we're told that we have to believe. We're told that we have to have faith. We're told, we're told the foundational message is you have to be certain about these things to maintain your existence. So then I become really locked into meaning, right? And it's a comfortable way to live. Like I said, it's a convenient fiction. It's a convenient meaning. Because it allows me to go through my life with certainty and comfort, but it's only at the level of meaning. It's not at the level of actual life experience. And so when life experience begins to shake that thing and it tumbles and it falls down, then I'm left with all these questions again. Then I'm left with these questions of what is a human being? What am I? Where am I? Who am I? And then I've got to start to rethink those things in order to, so it's an ex, it's, it becomes an existential crisis is the point that I'm trying to make. I hope I'm making sense. If I'm making, if I'm not making sense, type in the comments. If I'm making sense, uh, let me know. <laughs> and that's what I don't, I don't hear a lot of people talk about. I, I hear a lot of people like crapping on the church, if you will. Um, and I'm one of those people, so I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody, but, uh, talking about the doctrines and the foolishness of it, talking about the foolishness of the Bible. But these are all really, for me, superficial things. They don't get down to the core of it. So in other words, we can say, you know, uh, maybe after deconstruction, yeah, Christians just believe fairy tales, or there is no sky daddy, there is no God in the sky to pray to that's listening to your prayers. Or, um, you know, my life is... uh better since i don't have all the restrictions all of the pseudo moral uh, constrictions and restrictions that were laid on me by the church these 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 are all really superficial it doesn't get down to the heart of the issue because at the heart of the issue is if if you were genuinely a christian by genuinely a christian i don't mean some supernatural happening you were born again i mean you lived your faith then at some level You tied your existence to these things. And this is why people can become anxious. They can become depressed. They can become confused. Because this whole superstructure of meaning is being shaken. And then other Christians will come and they'll look at the experience. Watch how we do this. Same principle. They'll look at the experience of you being anxious. They'll look at the experience of you being depressed. They'll look at the experience of you being confused. And they'll say, see, demons have taken you over. Or this is happening to you because you left God or because you left the church or because you left the religion. Well, I agree, but see, their meaning about it is different. God sent a demon. That's an aboutism. That's about. I'm looking at your situation and this is what your situation is about. You're depressed because you left the favor of God. You're depressed because you have demons attached to you. You're anxious because of something if supernatural or th- that's going on. You see what I'm saying? Whereas no, I'm struggling with these things because my entire existence has been stripped away. And I don't know how to rebuild the meanings that I was. I don't know how to live now. I don't know how to live now because we live out of our meanings. I don't know how to live now. And so the last part of this, I want to say, okay, so what? Like, how do we make this practical and helpful for you if you're in that situation? First of all, I want to normalize it for you. I want to normalize it. I want to take away all the uh, sort of superstitious fear from it. Anybody that goes through an existential crisis is going to experience a certain level of anxiety. And you can go through an existential crisis at, at any, because of anything. It doesn't have to be because of deconstruction from religion. The, the typical midlife crisis that people experience is an existential crisis. I knew who I was when I was younger. I knew who I was, uh, you know, based on all these other things. But now I'm reaching the point of my life where I'm starting to come to grips with my mortality, my existence. I've got less runway ahead of me. I've got more runway behind me than I have in front of me. I've got probably less years and decades to live than what I lived before. And so now I have to create a different set of meanings to define and be comfortable within my existence. So, Anything can cause that kind of a crisis. It's not this superstitious thing where God's doing something to you, you're left God. It's just that because we live out of our meaning-making and we can't not do it, and because we were so certain and because it was tied to our existence, now that we've come to different conclusions about those things, now that we're giving different meaning to those things in our lives, it can be quite common for you then to not know where to go, to not know how to move forward. So I want to give you a couple of – I want to explain that. I want to normalize it say so it's normal. There's nothing – it's not that you're going to hell or it's not that, you know, God put something on you. You're experiencing exactly the symptoms that we would expect anyone going through any kind of existential crisis to experience. So I want to normalize it for you. That's the first thing. And take away some of that old religious fear. And then the second thing that I want to talk about, kind of three points here. So the first point is it's normal. The second point is that we are so programmed for truth and we are so programmed for certainty in our church experience. Um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, God's word is truth. What is truth? What is out there? And we're so certain of that, right? And we're programmed for certainty. And so then we can start. And, and see, this is another thing that happens that I find so interesting. Like uh, one of the things I realized in my deconstruction was that I was programmed for certainty and that the answers I was giving, there was no tangible, there was no experiential knowledge from which to create the meaning. In other words, it's a building without a foundation. Let me come back if you were watching at the beginning. Let me come back to the vacation scenario. If I go to the vacation on the beach or go on a cruise, I have a foundational experience of what a cruise is like. I have a foundational experience of you know what what the food is like, what the pools are like, what it's like with the people, what it's like being on the ocean, what the waves are doing. Did I get sick? Did I not get sick from motion sickness? Do I enjoy the tropics or do I don't not? enjoy the tropics, but that's all being birthed out of an actual experience. So that's the foundation. Then I can layer my meanings onto those experiences. With religion, when we say, when we talk about heaven or hell, when we talk about whether Jesus existed or didn't exist, when we talk about whether his death meant that God was pouring his wrath out, saving us from our sins, or whether... It had some other meaning. The truth of the matter is that what we're doing is we're taking, again, to use my analogy of the building, there's no foundational experience. I didn't live when Jesus lived. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him talk. I wasn't there at the crucifixion. I haven't died and gone to heaven and been there long enough to come back and tell you what it was all about. Even people with near-death experiences, there's mystery to things. Haven't seen hell. Haven't talked to anybody who's been to hell. So there's no foundation. We're just caught at these levels of meaning. But yet we say it's a firm foundation. We say it's a certain foundation. And we we try to impose those belief structures on other people To tell them who they are, to tell them about their experience. And so because we get used to living with certainty in a mental castle without a foundation, a lot of people who deconstruct don't really go to the deeper levels and they're not uncomfortable with the fact that maybe truth isn't, objective truth isn't as important as we've been told that it is. See if knowing the objective facts about Jesus and my sins and my standing with God is tied to my existence going to heaven or going to hell for all eternity. (laughs) That's really some powerful meaning there, right? But it's not based on any experience at all. I can't point to any experience in my life, even the mystical experiences that I've had and said that experience in and of itself without all the added meaning is sufficient to say it's absolute truth. And then we argue about these things. And the same thing goes on with the love and light community. I remember getting into a row with somebody uh, that I really admired and respected on Facebook because uh, they were saying, you know, that everyone chooses their traumas in, you know, before they come into this world. Before you're born into this world, you, ch- you chose to be raped. Before you're born into the world... You chose to be paralyzed. You chose to have a child that died in a tragic way. You chose that. You chose that for your growth. And I simply came back and said, that's a form of victim blaming. And this person, man, went all over their own Facebook page, coming at me, um, coming at me in my comments about how wrong I was. But even if you say you have the memory of that experience, let's just say, because there's people out there that say, well, I remember before I was born. That's still not what you're describing is the experience of having a memory. You're describing the experience of having a memory before you even had any earthly references to To know what was going on. But anyway, I'm digressing from that. What I'm saying is we argue about this stuff and we have no foundation for it. We have no foundation of experience that we can point back to for that. Now, I'm not saying that this person is wrong for believing that their particular traumas were chosen by them before they came into the womb so that they could learn something from it not saying that at all. If that meaning works for that person and that meaning does work for that person, then great. Stick with it. But to impose it on someone else, because, see, I work with trauma victims all the time in my practice, and the level of self-hatred for people who've been horribly abused, who've been in an abusive family, who've been in an abusive situation where they were horrifically abused and then told it was their fault that they were abused, you're just, that. that's a problem. They, 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 they have such a broken self. They have such a low sense of um, identity existentially that when you say you chose those things, you chose those things, well, then that can be interpreted to them. Whereas this person, they've got layers of meaning underneath that that makes it empowering for them to believe that they chose their traumas. Before they were came into the womb, but this person, they may be at ground zero. And, and, and so that belief imposed upon this person could just be piling on the shame and making them worse. That's why I said it was victim blaming. So it's okay for you to want to believe that. But when you start publicly putting that out there, then other people may take that meaning and it may become what was constructive for you may become destructive. For them, now, what I'm doing with you is I'm switching the frame. One of the things I had to learn, because I was so certain before when I was a preacher, because I was the man of God, I had the word of God, I was, I was the spokesman, I was the oracle, I was, and so I get up there and I'll teach like Jesus as one having authority. See, those were all existential meanings. I'm anointed of God. I'm the man of God. I have the Word of God. I have the truth. See, those are all existential meanings that allowed me to speak with such certainty and authority about things that I had no experiential foundation for. And again, even my mystical experiences, like saying healings or seeing healings or miracles or having these incredible uh, mystical experiences that I, I don't like to talk about, so I don't, I'm not even going to tell you what they were, but they were powerful, but they didn't directly correct, connect in a direct experiential way. To the doctrines. And that's part of the reason that I deconstructed. Because I realized my experiences, mystical experiences, can be true for me without any of this other stuff also being true. They're not wedded together. So shifting the frame then from what's absolute truth, what's out there absolutely, and trying to figure that out with absolute certainty so that then we can evangelize others into that. That becomes our objective when we deconstruct. Well, if that wasn't true, then what is true? And what I'm saying is change the question from that wasn't true to what is true to that was no longer useful for me. That became destructive for me. That became a penthouse of mental meaning that I no longer wanted to live out of. And so now I've got to find what is going to be a convenient story for me to help me live. But see, what I've seen is a lot of people don't really dig into these existential issues. They don't really dig into these existential questions when they're deconstructing. They simply find oftentimes another mental house, another mental building, and go move in on the 10th floor. Atheism and materialism, you know, uh, we still pretty much accept that uh, if you're not spiritual, if you're not um, uh, a believer, not religious, and we want to go live in that atheism building, well, then we're being given presuppositions of materialism. We're given presuppositions about the authority of science to tell us all things. We're, you see what I'm saying? Because it's more convenient for some people. I'm not saying everybody that does this or everybody that became an atheist. I'm just saying this is something that can happen. It becomes more convenient to move in on the 10th floor of the atheist building than it does to really just raise the building to the foundation and rebuild from within. Um, Or I can go into the love and light community, which is very similar, right? Um, Very similar to Christianity. A lot of very similar Teachings, But again, the experiential foundation can be a little bit off kilter. I can believe in reincarnation to answer my existential question and say, no, reincarnation is true. And I can point to tons of stuff in the literature that would validate reincarnation. There's more in scientific literature or more studies have been done to validate the reality of re- reincarnation than to validate the reality of heaven. That's just a fact. There have been people that have been born, uh, that, that have lived their lives and have uh awakened to what they call past life memories and then find a person who fits to a tee with incredibly detailed information about that person who died, you know, how many years before that other person was born. There have been lots of studies done on that. There's lots of books and stories and even scientific study out there about that. So, So from that perspective, re- reincarnation has more foundation than heaven. However, However, um, that doesn't mean reincarnation is the case for reincarnation is strong enough to be objectively true. Because again, we have to assume that that person came into that knowledge and information about that other person who lived and died before they were born because they were actually that other person. It could be that there's uh uh even in in uh Hindu and, and some New Age circles, they talk about the Akasha, the Akashic records, the record of all things that's in consciousness, that's in the universal mind. Perhaps that person just tapped into you through some weird way, some accident, you know, blind squirrel finding a nut, <laughs> dead clock being right twice a day, tapped into something of the Akasha and just downloaded the memories from that person. That's possible. That's a possibility. Doesn't mean that they were that person. So, and then, and then we'll add to reincarnation things like karma. Well, how do we know that there's karma? You know, you didn't choose your, your, your trauma. Your trauma's happening to you because of karma, because of something you did in your past life. Well, how do we know? Where's the experiential link there? Where's the foundation for that? Again, so, so all I'm saying is, like, we have to become comfortable with the questions. We have to become comfortable with the uncertainty, but we still have to find meaning to live our lives. So how do we, so we have to shift the question from what's objectively true to what's objectively not true. We have to shift the question to what's working for me. What worked for me then doesn't work for me now. So what's going to work for me now? And so then the last part of this, to tie, to tie this and bring this all together is how do I do that? Well, let me say this, and I wanted to do a whole thing on, uh, re- time and wasting time and what do we do with our time? Because that's an existential question. I will try to remember to come back to that next week because I think that's an important and very practical conversation for us to have. But remember I talked about memory and I said, if you were to ask me, Aaron, what were you wearing seven weeks ago when you, when it was a Sunday, what did you have for lunch or dinner? What'd you do that afternoon? What'd you watch on TV? Like, I can't, I'm, those memories aren't easily accessible to me because they don't carry enough meaning. They don't carry enough significance. The only thing that really gets stored in my memory is what carries meaning and significance, enough meaning and significance that I have like a marker there. That's like the highlights, like I was saying, a highlight in the book of my life. A lot of chapters are just dull and boring, and then there's a few highlights there, and those highlights are what stick out in my memory. So what I would say is make the most of your time. Going forward. We've got a limited amount of time on this planet. Make the most of your time. By asking yourself this question. How can I go forward from this day. From this point in time. How can I go forward. And create. As many. Meaningful. Moments. In my life. So that I can have the most. Enriched. Memories that I can take with me. How can I create, how can you create meaningful moments in your life so that you can have a very enriched memory of your life experiences? And what's meaningful for one person is going to be meaningful, is going to be meaningless to another person. What's meaningful for one person is going to be meaningless to another person. So you have to find out what do you value, what is important to you, because whatever is important to you is where you're going to have to focus on the meaning. And then how can you create meaningful moments in your life going forward? And that might be a good place to pick up in the next Sunday Morning Live is how to create meaningful moments in your life with the time that you have left. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you found this to be informative. I hope you found it to be helpful. Appreciate all the comments. Let me just take a look here. Lots of comments about the oceans and the beaches. Um, Samantha says she's heading to the ocean as we listen. (laughs) Emerald Coast. Good for you, Samantha. Uh, Miss you guys. Uh, let's see. Just kind of scrolling through some of the comments here. (laughs) Granny Morris has some good comments here. Um, I want to rebuild the layers of meaning that are healthy for me and those around me. I'm changing the foundation. It takes time. Yes. She also says, I'm not broken. It's healthy. No, you're not broken. It's, or it's normal. I'm not broken. It's normal. You're not broken. It's very normal. Um, Shelby, replying to Ben, says, uh, why does this make so much sense now? But while in the religion, the logic seemed hidden. Mm, great question to contemplate today. Yeah, lots of good discussion under that thread um, about God's predeterminism. Ben says, basically, if if God predestines or if God's sovereign in control of all things, then the devil is on his payroll. I like that. Uh, God's uh Part leave zero room for choices and free will. Um, Roger says uh, implies there's nothing we can do about it or nothing we could have done to avoid a predetermined tragedy. yeah that that thing is really that level of meaning is very much a mind effort. <laughs> Try to keep it clean on Sunday mornings. Lots of thank yous, lots of hearts, thank you guys. I um, appreciate you spending this time with me. I hope you this was a blessing to you. If this has been a blessing to you and you'd like to see us be able to create more content like this, please consider donating to our ministry. The PayPal link is there at the bottom. Please consider donating. Uh, consider supporting us monthly so that we know what we can count on going forward in terms of... Um, covering monthly expenses and stuff. Again, I want to transition uh, from my day job, so I'm just being very transparent, very humble, uh, and asking for some donations and support if this has been helpful or a blessing to you. Again, even if you can just do like $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you can do to help us out, it's greatly appreciated. Those of you that have responded, again, a big heart thank you to all of you and to everybody who watches and listens. Please like and subscribe if you're on the YouTube all that stuff. And uh, anyway, blessings, guys. Hope the rest of your day, time, night, morning, whatever it is when you're watching this. Hope it's great for you. Be safe out there and be kind.